So we are preaching a sermon series called Church After COVID. And what we're looking at is, what does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be part of a local church community? And we need to ask this question because during COVID, we had almost no face-to-face connections with each other, isn't it? I love seeing all these faces now without the masks. This is beautiful. Those of you who have masks, that's fine. But anyway, we had almost no face-to-face connections with each other. I mean, we did, did church through computer screens. And as a result, that made it easier for us to think that you can do church, you can experience church without face-to-face connections with real flesh and blood people. It made it easier for us to think that we could experience church by worshiping on YouTube or listening to your favorite internet pastor. So now that we're pretty much through COVID, we want to ask once again, what does it mean to be part of a church? And what we've seen in the passages week after week that we've been studying is that a crucial part of what it means is real face-to-face connections with live flesh and blood people who love each other and care for each other and encourage each other. And the question we want to focus on this afternoon is, what does it mean to encourage each other? What does the Bible mean by encouragement? What's the, what should be the focus of our efforts as we encourage each other? Let's take an example. Maybe there's someone in your home group or a fellow brother or sister that you know in the Lord, and and they are going to be having a job interview coming up, and they are nervous about this job interview. They're feeling insecure about this job interview because this is their dream job. This is what they've been working toward. Very important interview coming up, and they're fearful about this job interview. And as they share with you what's happening in their heart, you know that God is calling you to encourage them. That's what the Lord's calling us to do with each other, to encourage. So what does that mean? How do you encourage them? Some people might just say, don't be concerned. You've got this. It's not a problem. Your CV is perfect. You're exactly who they're looking for. You've got this in the bag. Don't worry. That might be what some might say. But what I want us to see from God's word tonight is that as encouraging as those words might sound, you've got this. Don't worry. No problem. As encouraging as those words might sound, if that's all we say, then we have not given them biblical encouragement. Even if they leave feeling better, we have not given them biblical encouragement. So what is biblical encouragement? It's taught in many different passages, but the one I want us to focus on is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, get it up on your phones. But before we read this passage, I want us to ask the question, what's what's the background? What's going on behind the scenes in this passage? So here's the story. At around the year AD 50, Paul went to Thessalonica, which is a Roman colony, a Roman city, and he went into the Jewish synagogue on Saturday. And probably because they recognized that he was well-schooled in the 
Jewish Old Testament scriptures, they asked him to speak. And so for the next three Saturdays, Sabbaths, Paul opened up the scriptures and showed them from the Old Testament that the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures had come in Jesus. He's come. Paul would have made it clear that we've all turned our backs on God and sinned against him, and there is nothing we can do. We can't be good enough to make up for our sin, which means we're all facing God's judgment, but that in great mercy God had promised the Messiah, and in Jesus he has sent the Messiah. And that Jesus died on the cross to be punished for all the sins of everyone who will put their trust in him. And that when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross, just like we've sung about tonight and remembered with communion, when you put your trust in Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. You receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit, fills your heart with God's love and God's presence and starts to change you and you overflow with love and you are transformed and you know that your certain destiny is the joy of being before God in heaven forever. The Messiah has come in Jesus. That was Paul's message. Well, God used Paul's words to change the hearts of many of his listeners and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and were saved. But many others who were listening were furious at what Paul was saying, enraged at what he was claiming about Jesus. And they formed a mob and started to rampage through the city trying to find Paul. And Paul managed to leave the town late that night, escape to Athens. But while Paul was there in Athens, he was deeply concerned What's happened to those brand new believers back in Thessalonica? That mob was violent. They were on a rampage. What's happened to them? Paul was deeply concerned. He'd heard about how they'd suffered, and he wanted to know how they were doing. So with that in mind, now let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1-10, through 10, and ask the question, What was Paul most concerned about? What was he most concerned about? Was it their physical well-being? Was it their possessions, their homes still intact? Was it their job security? What was Paul most concerned about? Let's read through verses 1 through 10. And as we've been working on how to study the Bible, notice what word Paul repeats five times. I highlighted it for you on the screen so you'll be able to see. But look at what Paul is most concerned about. Start with verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we couldn't stand to be apart from you anymore to not know how you're doing, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved, be troubled, be disturbed by these afflictions, by the fact that you're suffering. For you yourselves know we are destined for this. Believers are destined for suffering. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you know, you've experienced this as well. 
For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face, And supply what is lacking in your faith. Notice, Paul repeats the word faith five times. Did you catch that? Verse 2, Paul sends Timothy to establish and exhort them in their faith. Verse 5, Paul sends Timothy to learn about their faith. Verse 6, Timothy brought good news of their faith. Verse 7, Paul was comforted to hear about their faith. And verse 10, Paul wants to visit them to supply what's lacking in their faith. So what Paul was most concerned about was not their physical well-being, was not their job security, was not their possessions and their homes and whatever. What he was most concerned about was their faith. Now why? Why would that be his greatest concern? I think he tells them, he tells us in verse 5. Read that verse again. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. That's why Paul was so concerned. The tempter might have tempted you. The tempter is Satan, the devil. The devil, the tempter, Satan wants to tempt us. He is seeking to tempt believers. And the target of his temptations is our faith. That's what he's targeting. Because Satan knows that everything depends upon faith in Jesus Christ. Everything in this life and in the life to come depends upon faith in Jesus Christ. So Satan, put it this way, he doesn't waste his bullets. He doesn't use his bullets to wound us. He's targeting his bullets at what could destroy us. He wants to destroy our faith. He shoots to kill by targeting our faith. And Paul was concerned that the tempter might have tempted them, which would mean that Paul's labor there in Thessalonica had been in vain. Now we know that when God saves us, He gives us a faith which he will never let be destroyed. When God saved you, gave you faith, he promises that good work he started, Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he's going to continue until the day of Christ Jesus, which means that no believer, no one who's been saved can lose their salvation. But if that's true, then what's Paul so concerned about? Why is he so concerned about their faith then? There's two reasons. Maybe there's more, but I thought of two. 
One is because the only way that Paul can know that their faith is genuine, that they have been saved, is because that faith is continuing. It's the only way Paul can know that they've been really, truly saved, because their faith is continuing. So, Timothy, go find out how their faith is. We want to see what's happened. How are they doing? Let us know. That's one reason Paul was so concerned. The second reason Paul was so concerned is that he knows that one of the ways God keeps believers' faith strong, one of the ways he keeps believers' faith from failing, is by encouraging us through others. So Timothy, find out about their faith and strengthen their faith. Go and encourage their faith. Build up their faith. That's why Paul was so concerned about their faith. Because everything depends upon faith, and the tempter was targeting their faith. And that's why our main concern should be faith, as we're encouraging each other. If someone is worried about an upcoming job interview, and of course we want them to get the job, we would love that. We have some level of concern for that, but what we are most concerned about is to strengthen their faith. Strengthen their faith. See if this analogy helps. Let's say you come upon a terrible car accident, and here's this person lying in the in the road with a broken leg and a terribly cut arm which is bleeding profusely. Tragic situation. Now think about this. What's more dangerous for that person? The broken leg or the terrible bleeding? What's more serious? Well, it's the, bro- it's the, the bleeding, right? Not the broken leg. They won't die from the broken leg, but they could die at how profusely they are, they are bleeding. So if you're there, no one else is around, what should you focus your efforts on first? Stop the bleeding. Forget the broken bones. Stop the bleeding. But think of how tragic it would be if you focused on the broken leg. Carefully put that in a splint. Gave them some pain medications to ease their suffering. Putting all the focus on the leg while, while they bleed to death. Can you feel how tragic that would be? No paramedic would do that, right, Lizzie? No, okay. Ask her. She'll tell you. It's true. Stop the bleeding. And we want to learn from Paul that when someone needs encouragement, Paul was, most, was not most concerned about their circumstances. Not most concerned. Concerned, but not most concerned about their circumstances, the broken leg. Paul was most concerned about their faith. Are they bleeding? That's what he was most concerned about. And he sent Timothy to find out about their faith. And said, Timothy, go and strengthen their faith. And that should be our focus as well. When we want to encourage people, we want our focus to be on strengthening their faith. Now, to do that, we need to be clear on what faith is. We want to strengthen faith. So what is it that we're seeking to strengthen? And Paul does not tell us in this passage what faith is, but he does give us a very helpful explanation in Romans chapter 4, 
verses 18 through 22. I would encourage you to memorize those verses. I find these so encouraging. Romans 4, 18 through 22. Paul tells us what faith is by describing how Abraham had faith. Here's the setting. God had promised to give Abraham and Sarah a child, a son, through whom the Messiah would be born, who would be the Savior who would bring salvation to people from all the nations. People from every nation, tongue, and tribe would be saved through Jesus. God had promised this son who, through whom the Messiah would be born, who would bring salvation to all the nations. But years went by after God had promised that, and they hadn't gotten pregnant. Decades went by, hadn't gotten pregnant. And now they were both well past childbearing years, but Abraham continued believing God's promise. I love this. Read, look at verses 14, or sorry, 18 through 22. Notice the word faith and notice the words promise in here. Verse 18, in hope, that is in hope in God, he believed, Abraham believed, against hope, against worldly hopes, earthly hopes. No hope in their bodies. Nope. Got a hope in God here. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. Here's a quote from Genesis 15. So shall your offspring be. There's the promise. You will have a child through whom the Messiah will be born, bringing salvation to all the nations. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is pointing us to Abraham to look at Abraham's faith to teach us what it means for us to have faith. So what does it mean to have faith? Faith means trusting all that God promises to be to us in Christ Jesus. Trusting all that God promises to do for us in Christ Jesus. There's three parts to that definition. The word trusting, first of all, faith doesn't just mean believing various facts about God, but it means trusting God. Trusting. And we don't just trust God in some kind of a vague, nebulous, general way. We trust what God has promised. The Bible is full of hundreds of promises of what God will do for those who are trusting Christ. So it's trusting all that God promises to do for us in Christ. The book of Hebrews says that the only reason God could give promises to Abraham or to any of us is because of what the Messiah would do in paying for our sins on the cross. So faith means trusting all that God promises to do for us in Jesus Christ. It means trusting that because of Jesus' death on the cross, paying for our sins, God will faithfully keep all his promises, like his promise to forgive all of our sins. His promise to fill us with his presence, to satisfy our hearts so fully in his glory and his beauty and his majesty that we don't need anything else. We're filled with him. He promises to, to provide for us, to guide us, to give us strength against temptation, to take us to heaven. And the list just goes on and on and on. 
all of God's promises. Faith means trusting all that God promises to do for us in Christ. Now, with that in mind, then, okay, how do we strengthen each other's faith? God's calling us, Grace Church, to be a church full of encouragement towards each other. The focus of encouragement should be faith. That's what we should target. That's our goal. So, Grace Church, how can we strengthen each other's faith? How can we encourage each other in that way? So there you are sitting at, I don't know, Costa Coffee, talking back and forth with your friend. How do you strengthen them in their faith? What should you do? Let me give you four simple steps that I think you'll find helpful. First, ask questions. Ask questions about how they're doing. And then second, listen to their hearts. Listen. What what promises are they trusting? What promises are they not trusting? Do they have heart burdens? Are they anxious about something? Feeling fearful or insecure about something? Are they being tempted in some way? Are they angry at someone, bitter about some situation? Frustrated about something? Listen to their hearts. So ask them questions, and then listen to their hearts. And then third, share God's promises with them. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you want to strengthen your own faith, want to strengthen your brother's faith, your sister's faith, share with them God's word, especially God's promises. So ask questions, listen to their hearts, share God's promises with them, and then fourth, pray with them and pray for them. I love Mark chapter 9, verse 24, where a man cries out to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. That's how we always, almost always are, right? I've got, I've got faith here, but I'm struggling to believe you here. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He will always answer that prayer by strengthening your faith and helping your unbelief. So pray, pray for that brother. Pray for that sister. And God will use his word to strengthen their faith. These four steps, now, I don't want this to sound like it's a quick fix. We don't just like share a promise with somebody and then see you, you're fine now, bye-bye. This can take time. This should take love, compassion, care, genuineness, authenticity, but God will use your time. He will use your love. He will use your asking how they're doing. He will use your listening. He'll use your sharing promises, and he will use your prayer to strengthen their faith strengthen their faith. Let me give you two examples. Let's get real tangible here, real specific. Maybe the person you're talking with at Costa Coffee says that they're struggling um, about whether they are really forgiven by God or not. Am I really forgiven? Maybe they're struggling because they're thinking about some particular, particularly heartbreaking sin that they've committed in the past, and it just haunts them, and they aren't sure that they could be forgiven for that. Or maybe it's because they feel like there was such a long time when they were turning their back on Christ. How could I possibly be forgiven for having rebelled knowingly for that long? How, how could I be forgiven? Well, if they 
don't believe that they could be forgiven through what Christ has done, then they're not trusting God's promise of what he will do for them through Christ. They're bleeding. You see that? Their faith is weak. Serious. So our goal should be to strengthen their faith. Build them up in their faith. But now imagine if instead of strengthening their faith, you just told them they should, wait, sister, brother, you need to work on being more positive. That's what you need to do. Maybe you could get a, a hobby, something that really interests you that would kind of take your mind off of your sinfulness. You feel so much better. Uh, maybe you need more me time. Just get some time away, or you can do something that's good, you know, for yourself. Now, we might think that that would leave them feeling encouraged. But see, if that's what we are saying to them, then we are focusing on just changing their feelings in a way that we think will help. We're, we're dealing with the broken leg. We're not dealing with the bleeding. The fact that their faith is weak. Their faith is struggling. That should be our focus. Strengthening their faith. Because everything in their life, now and forever, depends upon faith in Jesus Christ. So we want to strengthen their faith. Focus there. So what might you do? Maybe open up to Acts chapter 10, verse 43, and share this promise with them. I would encourage you to memorize this promise. This is so powerful. Acts 10, 43. To him, speaking of Jesus, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins. Plural sins, not just one sin, sins, okay? To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is an amazing promise. How many of those who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins? Everyone. Everyone does. No matter how grievous a sin you've committed, forgiveness. No matter how long you are turning your back on Christ, forgiveness. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, can you see how powerfully that would encourage them? More so than just try to be more positive. Try not to think about your sins so much. No, Jesus Christ has made the way for you to be completely forgiven by God for your sins. There's power there, friends. That bleeding will stop when we open up the Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Do you feel that? That's the kind of encouragement that God wants us to have toward each other. So talk about this verse. Explain this verse. Ask them if they're believing in Jesus. Ask them which sins are left out of this verse. None are left out of this verse, in case you're wondering. This covers them all. Point them to the cross. So you open up the scriptures. You look at promises in black and white. There they are. And then pray. Pray for them. Pray with them. Have them pray. You pray for them. Ask God, Father, use this promise in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to strengthen my brother's faith right now, to strengthen my sister's faith. Use this promise by the power of your spirit to, to build their faith right now, that they would know that they are forgiven because of what Christ has done. By you pouring out your assurance upon them, let them be confident and secure in their salvation. 
Much better than me time or much better than finding a hobby. Nothing wrong with hobbies or me time, I suppose. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. God will strengthen their faith. The bleeding will stop. They're out of danger. They're out of danger. That's one example. Another example. Let's go back to that person who's fearful about their upcoming job interview. Okay? Again, the fact that they're fearful and worried about this shows that there's there's promises that they're not trusting. There's promises that God has given to us in his word that that they're not trusting. Their faith is weak. The tempter is tempting them. So your goal, what you want to focus on, is their faith. You want to strengthen their faith so that they are trusting all that God promises to be to them in Christ Jesus. But now if all you say is, listen, you've got this. If all you say is your CV is perfect, you're exactly what they're looking for, you don't need to worry. Or if you just, here's a website that'll help you get ready for some interview questions. If that's all we say, if that's all that we focus on, then when we walk away, they're still going to be bleeding. Feel that. Now, nothing wrong with offering them help, websites to help them do interview questions. That's not a problem. That would be a helpful thing to do. That isn't wrong, but that should not be our main focus. That's not the main problem that's going on here. The main problem is weakness of faith. Encouragement should focus on strengthening faith. We need to stop the bleeding. So open up God's word and share a promise with them. Now, I've looked through the Bible, and I couldn't find any promise that guarantees that when you do an interview, you'll get the job. Okay, there's no promises like that. But look at what Isaiah chapter 41, 10 does say. God has not promised you'll get every job you interview for. Look at what he does promise. Isaiah 41, 10. So powerful. Fear not, God says. He's talking to us. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And notice this promise does not guarantee that you'll get the job after the interview. This promise is far better than that. God is promising that he will be with you in the interview, first of all. He'll give you everything you need in that interview. And he will have the outcome of that interview be whatever will bring you the greatest joy in the universe, which is joy in him, knowing him in Christ. He'll have it work out for Whatever, whether you get the job, whether you don't get the job, it'll be whatever will bring you the greatest closeness, nearness, joy in him, which is the prize that we all want more than anything else, is more joy in Christ, more of knowing God in him. So he promises that that's what the outcome will be. So you share this promise and other promises. You open up to the Bible, look at these in black and white, Isaiah 41.10 and maybe some other promises. You pray with them. You pray for them. 
You're asking God to use these promises to restore their joy in him, to take the fear away, to fill them with the peace that surpasses comprehension so that they see that God is here. God will be there in the interview. God will give me everything that I need. And God's going to have this be something that's going to bring me great good in him, whatever the outcome might be. And as you do that, the bleeding will stop. So the focus of biblical encouragement isn't just circumstances or just trying to make people feel a little better. The focus is on strengthening their faith, which will really make them feel better. That's the focus of biblical encouragement. That's what Satan is targeting to destroy. That's what everything is all about is faith. And God will strengthen his people's faith as we focus on encouraging them by asking them how they're doing, listening to their hearts, sharing promises, and praying with and for them. Now, one last question. Why is this so important for us as a church? Grace Church, how are we doing in this? When you encourage people, what is the focus of your encouragement? I'm praying that as a result of this afternoon, there will be a strengthening in, in all of our fellowships so that we are focusing on strengthening faith. Other things can be helpful as well, but that's our priority. That's our focus. That's our target. That's what's most important. Stop the bleeding. That's what's most important. Now, why? I thought about it like this. Think about all the conversations that take place in a week here at Grace Church. So conversations after our worship gathering on Saturdays, conversations when you've got a play date with another, another mom, conversations when you're walking with somebody or going fishing with somebody, conversations with a fellow believer at work, conversations um, texting on the phone, whatever it might be, conversations at home group, all the different conversations that take place in a week's time here at Grace. If our focus is not on strengthening faith, then God's people will be growing weaker and weaker and weaker. That's what will happen. Just like the person in that car accident. Weaker and weaker and weaker. But if our focus is on strengthening faith, if we're asking them how they're doing, listening to their heart, sharing God's promises with them, praying with them, praying for them, sharing our own lives as well, weeping with them, rejoicing with them, as we are focused on strengthening their faith, then in all these conversations that take place here in Grace Church in the course of a week, we as a body will be growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Our faith will be growing stronger. Our confidence in our salvation will be growing stronger. Our power against temptation and sin will be growing stronger. Our Perseverance and steadfastness through trials will be growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Our love for each other will be growing stronger. Our witness to Abu Dhabi, who desperately needs to hear about Jesus, will be growing stronger and stronger and stronger. We as a church will be growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And Christ will be glorified more and more and more. And that's what I want to call us to do. Making in faith the target of our encouragement. Focus on strengthening faith. We'll be stronger and stronger. 
our witness will be stronger and stronger, and Christ will be glorified more and more. Let's stand together. Thank you so much for your word, Father, and for Paul's laser focus on how's their faith. Timothy, find out about their faith. Timothy, strengthen their faith. Lord, thank you for Paul's example. Help us, Lord, to, when we encourage each other, focus on faith. And as we do that, pour out your spirit in these conversations. Let faith get strengthened. Let hope arise. Let joy fill and bring glory to your name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.